Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to talk! Hey everyone, today we have someone live here. His name is Benjamin Reed. Today is a special. Here he is, live at Let's Talk. Hello everyone, it's April 20, I mean it's April 30, 2020, and I'm talking to Ben Reed today. Hi. We'll start with the writing subject. What made you start your writing? What made me start writing? Yeah. Uh, I think when I was a kid, I really liked reading books, and I really liked going to the library. And I remember in second grade, we had a writing assignment, and we wrote in our journals, and we had to do an exercise on personification. And I told, I wrote a story from the perspective of a pencil, and I really enjoyed it. And I think it was probably the best one in the class, and everybody, everybody else's didn't seem as interesting to me anyway. And so I thought maybe I had some talent. And... Um, I had wanted to either be an artist or a writer. And as I got older, it seemed like I was a much better writer than an artist. And so I ended up just naturally spending more time on my writing because it was easier for me to do, do it well and to finish my projects. How long have you been writing? Uh, well, as I just said, I think I got the spark in around second grade. But I think I started like journaling in a notebook and trying to write stories, uh, I think, right around eighth, the summer between eighth and ninth grade. Yeah. How old, how, I mean, how do you feel about your, how do you, how do you feel about your writing? Some days, I don't feel one way. Some days I feel really good, like when a project's going well and I think I'm doing a good job and I can see what I'm doing and I understand, um, I can kind of perceive or feel how the project is going to be completed from start to finish and it seems to make sense to me. And I'm surprising myself with what I'm able to do on the page. Uh, then it's great. But some days you just feel kind of stupid and bad and you have a good idea and you can't do anything with it or you don't have any ideas or, you know, you're just busy with other life stuff like your kids or your job and you can't get a time to sit down at your desk to write. And some days those are very frustrating days. Um, and I think the majority of the days are kind of in between. They're kind of bleh. like maybe you get a little work done, but you don't really know if it's good or not. What do you write about? I write about a lot of different things. Um, I mostly write about people making choices in, in interesting situations. For example? For example, um, uh, 
I don't want to talk about the project I'm working on right now because I'm superstitious. I'm not a superstitious person. Like I don't believe in luck and I don't go to church and I don't believe in ghosts, but I am superstitious about my writing. Uh, and so I follow superstitious practices. Like I don't really talk about what I'm writing while I'm writing it. The first draft, okay. unless I'm talking to another writer or an editor or an agent. And th in which case I will talk to them, but even that feels risky to me. Um, so I'll talk instead about something I've written recently. Uh, recently, I wrote a, uh, a novella, which is a very long story that is shorter than a novel, which is basically a book. So uh, Percy Jackson uh, and the Olympians, for example, uh, number one, The Lightning Thief, uh, is a novel. And, and you can tell when you pick it up, you know, it's 300, 400 pages long. Uh, so a novella is much like that, but about half or the, a third of that length. So much longer than a short story. It probably takes, if, if you read it in a day, it's going to take all day. But it's not going to take you weeks to read. Uh, and so the novella I wrote was called The Slowly Spoken News. And it was about an American in Austria, which is a country next to Germany. Not Australia, but Austria. Uh, and they speak German there. And he's there to teach American literature. And he gets a job at a radio station telling the news in English to people who live in Austria but are studying English. And he finds out through these mysterious circumstances that he can change past events by changing how he reports them. So he can make up the news as he reads it at night. And when he wakes up in the next day, what he said about the news becomes true, becomes the, the true past. Um, and instead of using his powers for good, like stopping wars, you know, giving money to the poor, uh, undoing crimes that, that have just happened. He has, he completely can do this and he's, and he means to, he intends to, uh, but first he wants to try and get this girl to fall in love with him. And that ends up leading to his downfall. It, be, it becomes a tragic story. Um, how many books have you written? Have you put, how many have you published? So I'm still, uh, I have an agent now, and we're working on my second book. She has my first book. It has not been published yet. We're going to try and sell them to a publisher together. Uh, I haven't published any books under my own name with a publisher yet. Uh, I've published dozens of short stories and a couple poems in what are called literary journals. And those are essentially anthologies. Uh, they're much like kind of fancy magazines, but they only come out a couple times a year. Uh, and those are just for people who want to read, um, in my case, literary fiction or uh, literary narrative essays. Like someone might, someone's mom might die and, and it might be a very traumatic experience and they might write an essay about that, about what it feels to go through what they did, what happened and how they feel about it. Or someone might have a, uh, write a story like mine like a magical kind of story where someone can change, change reality with their voice. Uh, and so people who want to read that kind of stuff will pick up a literary journal instead of, for example, different magazines like a cosmopolitan or men's health or sports illustrated. That's where most of my work lives. When, how old were you when you started writing your first book? I, tr most writers try to write books early and they're usually pretty bad that's usually how it works out 
Um, I don't remember when I first started my first book, but I know it was in high school. I was a freshman or sophomore in high school when I first started trying to write a book. I'd written a short story. I was trying to write a short story, and I couldn't find out how to end it. And it was really interesting to me, and it kept going. So I tried to write a novel. Okay. Now we're going to talk about you teaching. Mm. You're teaching. Yeah, I love to teach. I'm a... So I teach English, literature. Oh, excuse me. Let me rephrase that. I teach English. So I teach writing, how to write essays, like the essays you write for school. Like if you're writing a report, I teach the college version of how to write a report. Um, so how to write a report that is interesting, that communicates well to your audience, that has good citation, uh, which is uh, essentially a record of the works that you consulted as you do your research. So I teach that class. And I also teach other classes, um, like I teach American literature after 1865. So basically, I teach five or six books that were published between the end of the Civil War and the current era, so right now. Uh, I also teach world literature, so I teach books from like Germany and Africa and China that have been translated into English. And then sometimes uh, I get to teach these very small, very fun classes called creative writing. Uh, and those are where people work on their short stories. And there's usually five or six of us and we sit at a table. Uh, and uh, every other week we do something called workshop, which basically when you do workshop, uh, if you're a student in this class, you write a short story and you try really hard and you send copies to all six or 10 or 12 people in the class. And then they have a week to read it and write their notes on it. And then when we come back to class, the author of the story has a gag order. He or she is not allowed to speak. They have to sit there and listen to us analyze and discuss their story. And sometimes this can be very mean. Like sometimes writers cry during workshop. That's common, but not in my class. We kind of keep it nice in my class. I try to keep things positive and productive. Um, and then on other days, we'll read professionally published short stories and books on writing to make ourselves better writers. So some days we do workshop and some days we talk about craft, which is literally like craft, like, like a woodshop has craft, a uh, pot, a clay maker who makes bowls and bases has a craft. What Ra kind of craft? Craft is really the nuts and bolts, uh, the technical aspects of how to write. So, you know, how to write a really, really scary bad guy. Like how do we make our bad guys scary, right? And there's a few different ways to make a bad guy in a story scary. You can make him seem really, really normal or even nice until they turn on you, or you can make them extra creepy and menacing from the very beginning. So like one example of a bad guy that starts out nice would be uh, Prince Hans of the Southern Isles and Frozen. I love that movie. You don't like that movie? I can... you don't, I'm not saying you don't. I like Frozen. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, or the other kind of character or someone who's scary and menacing from the beginning would be a Darth Vader. Right? So we talk about how to do that in stories. It's not Darth it would be kind of Darth Vader, but he starts out as Anakin, though, and then he turns. Sure. That's a good point. I, because I'm 43, I was born in 1977. I'm actually named after Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's why my name is Ben. Uh, I kind of think of the first three movies, uh, four, five, and six, episodes four, five, and six, as being kind of the whole story. I don't really, uh, what are you doing? Okay. I don't really get into the whole other franchise. They're good movies, but when I think of, when I say Star Wars, 
I really, I honestly, I really just mean two movies. I really just mean, what? Um, how do your students act normally? How do my students act? Yeah. yeah. What do you mean? Like, how do they normally act? Act in what way? They act like people. No, I mean, like, how do they act in the classroom? Like, when you say certain things, how do they react? It depends what I'm saying. Some of my classes have some of my classes have 400 people in them, and it's they're bigger than movie theaters. And some of my classes have five or six people in them, and we're in a small room sitting around the same table. And so I teach a lot of different classes, and it really depends on you know what we're talking about, how old the students are. Give me a, give me a for example, and I'll tell you what what how it goes. Like, what if you say something funny? Do they laugh? Yeah, so... What about 400 people? <laughs> it's really... Okay, so it's actually pretty easy to be funny as a teacher because no one's expecting you to be funny and the material is usually sometimes a little difficult. And so when you break to make a joke, even if it's kind of a dad joke or a bad pun, you usually get a good smattering of laughter because people appreciate having a little bit of release from the seriousness of teaching. If you try to be funny, though... If you try to be funny a lot, they kind of catch on and they kind of they kind of look like a nerd and people don't really respond as well. But if, you, if you're serious and, and you're practical and you're able to make jokes about the material and people f- understand the joke, they feel like they understand the material. And they probably do. And so they laugh sort of as a, an expression both of, of, of humor and of relief that they're starting to understand this complicated subject. What if you say something that's like, like inappropriate or something? I don't say things that are inappropriate. I mean, like they think maybe are wrong and like they don't. I have said things that are wrong. No, I don't mean like wrong, like maybe about like religious things. For example. Like. If you're talking about, for example, Christianity, if you're talking about a thing in someone's Christianity in the book you're talking about, and you wrote it, and that certain person has a quality, that person doesn't feel like, mm-hmm. like that person's feel like it's offensive. Okay, that's a good that's a good question, and that's something that does happen in, in college classrooms, right? So, let me answer it this way. Let me say first before I answer that. College is a really interesting time, especially I teach a lot of freshmen and sophomores. So that's the first and second year of college. So you have a lot of people who are new adults and for the first or second year of their lives, they're living outside of home. So they've lived for 16, 17, 18 years. And sometimes, and this is Texas, we have a lot of small towns, a lot of kind of isolated communities. And so we have a lot of people in these big rooms who are, you know, they're in classes with more people than, than were in their entire high school or sometimes their entire town. Uh, and there can be a little bit of a culture shock. And so sometimes you will have students who bristle or take issue um, with uh, things that you say or with kind of like maybe ideas that I would say are maybe more cosmopolitan, meaning more like big city ideas, sort of, I guess. Anyway. It doesn't mean they don't understand them, and it doesn't mean they're right or wrong. It just means there can be a little bit of a, a, a conflict as these things converge. So um, 
talking about Christianity, for example, and also Judaism and Islam uh, is relevant to my class because I teach world literature. Uh, I even teach part of the Bible. I teach part of the Old Testament. I teach a good chunk of Genesis, which is the first chapter of the Bible. So it's in the Jewish, the Hebrew Bible, and it's in the Christian Bible. So right away, uh, I'm, I do talk about religion in my classes. And also because Christianity is so common in the, in the world and in the English language and the literature written in the English language, uh, I do end up talking about religion quite a bit. In fact, the book we just finished reading uh, is a short novel by a man who, who went to Texas State, who got his first two degrees there named Tomas Rivera. And the book is called And the Earth Did Not Devour Him. And what that book is partially about, what the title refers to, is disillusionment with religion. And disillusionment means um, the ideas you're kind of brought up with as a kid don't seem to be as true or as helpful to you as you get older uh, in this case. And so I have to be very careful and very respectful of people's ideas about religion um, because I don't want people to think that I have opinions about their beliefs because I really don't, first of all. Um, there are over 7 billion people on earth and almost all of those people believe in a religion that I don't even necessarily understand. And so I should never come, at a, I should never come from a standpoint of thinking I know better than other people because I don't. All of us as individuals, we don't, we don't have objective analysis necessarily. We're all subjective people, which means we're all kind of, we all only know what we know as individuals. And so if I were to say that something is wrong or silly or better or good when it comes to belief, that would be really wrongheaded. And, and I don't know a lot of professors in the liberal arts, in the humanities, I teach in the humanities, uh, who would do that who would be judgmental like that. And so I try very hard not to say things that people find offensive, not because I'm trying to be likable, but because I want it, when people come to my class, I want them to feel that they're in a place where they're welcome, uh, where they can have a little fun and where they can learn things, not just about the world as I see it, but the world as they see it, where they can learn about themselves because I don't come to class to teach, to tell like the Ben Reed story. I come to class to talk about the books on our syllabus. Syllabus is, is, is sort of like a reading list for the, for the semester. So like, what do you, what do you expect to receive from the students when you get the work? Like classwork or homework or is that what you mean? Like any work. I expect students to try their best and to follow directions and to turn it in on time. I mean, like, like depending, like, based off of, based on the, the things that your students have, how the students have turned in things before, how do you think they would turn in an assignment you were, you were like working on to give them. Great. Okay. I think I understand. Um, so let me answer this in terms of when I teach freshman English, which is like the first writing class you take at college for a lot of people. These classes have between, I have, you know, four to five. When I used to, these are the classes you teach when you start out as a, as a adjunct lecturer, a, 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 a kind of, it's sort of like a young temporary professor in most cases. And so, 
what I have in those classes is I have four or five a semester, sometimes only three, um, and 18 to 21 students in those classes. And so what I can do with those smaller classes that I can't do in the big classes is I can get to know people and I can get an idea for their work as it changes over time. And so when I have like, I'll assign, for example, about five big papers in a semester. And so each paper is going to focus on a different skill set. Sometimes it might be like introductions and thesis statements. Do you know what a thesis statement is? A thesis statement is essentially uh, one or two key sentences at the beginning of your essay that makes an argument that the rest of the essay is going to defend or is going to introduce the topic of your essay or the theme. So we might work on introductions and that. And, and on another paper, we might work on paragraph structure. And on another paragraph, we might work on quotations and citations. And so each, each paper changes its focus. And as we change focus, I want them to realize that that's what we're focusing on and that's where they should spend their energy. And then as we go through the semester, as I watch them go through the five, four or five different skill sets, I get a better idea of where they need help and where they're doing well. And I keep that in mind um, as we move toward the final exam. So how have most of your students done on the final exam? Uh, most of my students do pretty well. Um, you know, you want to have a class average grade of about uh, 75%. That's a C. Uh, but that class average of 75% means that most people are getting a B, and there's a good amount of A's, and then there's a couple people failing and getting D's and C's, and that brings the average down. So, yeah. So... When you walk, so like, this, when you walk into like Texas State, this, like before the coronavirus, mm -hmm. when you walk into Texas State, do you, do you, what do you, like, what do people normally react to you walking in? Well, a college is like a little city. And you know how when you walk to the city, people just don't really look at you or, you know, when you're in a crowd of people on, the, on a crowded sidewalk? Yeah. It's like that. Uh, so most people don't really talk to you or look at you because everyone's kind of busy and has somewhere to be. But every once in a while I'll cross paths with a former student and they will like want to give me a hug or catch up with me or uh, tell me something. I remember one student I ran into about a year ago. Uh, I didn't remember her name and she got really mad at me or she pretended to get really mad at me. I don't know. Um, but I forgot her name because I have, I've had literally thousands and thousands of students since I started teaching just in the last and I've only been a teacher for about seven and a half years. And so it's, you always remember some people, but it's really hard to remember a, a lot of people, and it's impossible to remember everyone. Um, so, yeah, they kind of blend in. And then some students, you know, don't do well in your class, and, and they see you, and they remember that they failed your class, and they're embarrassed, and they just they don't want to talk to you. That's okay, too. Uh, what are the students usually carrying when you walk in? What are they carrying? Yeah. Like, do they carry coffee or something? Yeah. They almost, almost everyone has a cup of coffee or a water bottle. Yeah. Yeah. And? And phones. And I make them put up their phones. In my little classes, you're not allowed to have your phone out. You have to put it up in your bag. And they have gum? Yeah, you can chew gum in college. I don't like it. when If they have to talk, like if they have to give a speech, I make them take their gum out. 
because you know you do this work with your mouth, and so it doesn't help you if your gum is if you have gum in your mouth. Just like right now, for this interview, I was chewing gum and I took it out to sit down with you, because most of what I'm doing right now is speaking with my brain and my mouth, and so I wouldn't want any food in there or gum. Um. So. The students, when you walk in, do students you don't know just smile at you? Say hi to them. Yeah, well, we have a pretty, we're known, Texas State University uh, tries to cultivate a reputation as being a very friendly college. Um, and that's not everyone's experience. Some people don't have a great time at college. It's, that's inevitable. Uh, but a lot of people I talk to and a lot of people that I interact with do seem friendly and, and happy to help keep it a friendly place. Okay. Well, guess I'll see him. Yep. That's the end of our interview. What's this interview for? Well, people listening to this podcast may want to hear some interviews. Like maybe a podcast you might know called Ma has a bunch of stories. Yeah, that's where people tell stories, true stories about themselves. Yeah. But I think the people in the place I'm recording, don't want to tell their personal story. Well, one person doesn't yeah. want to tell their personal stories. So that's why I'm doing it. Carolyn, interview. my wife? Yes. Okay. <laughs> You're, yeah. That's fine. you got to respect yeah. people's privacy. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, Austin, Texas, where we are right now, um, has its own version of the moth. It, just a second. We're good. Don't pause it. We're fine. He's not gonna do it. We're still recording, Frank. Frank's my yeah, brother. You can fix it in post. Um, so Austin, Texas, where we're recording right now, has its own version of the moth. It's called Story Department, and it takes place at Home Slice Pizza at night. And I have been a guest. I've actually hosted it once or twice, and I've been a guest about five times. So I've told true stories at Story Department. Um, Hey, Frank, that hinge is making noise. We're, we're almost done. Sorry about that. Anyway, that's live radio for you, our recorded podcast. Anyway, <laughs> so I've done that. I've told lots of stories. Um, I told a story about the time I was in Russia. I was in Russia in 1995 when it was a very poverty-stricken time. A lot of people were poor there, and it was pretty tough and scary on the streets of Moscow sometimes. Uh I've told stories about this time I had a psychic connection, I thought, with a burrito. Really? Uh, really. I'll tell you that story sometime. Um, and I told stories. Oh, I'm blanking. I have them all written down because you have to practice. But, yeah, so if you ever want to go see uh, something like The Moth live, you don't have to wait for The Moth to come to town. You can go to Home Slice. Well, once the pandemic and the corona stuff's over, we can go to Home Slice. Because my friend Ali Hader... Uh, runs Austin Batcave. What's that? Yeah. Anyway, so we can go do that, uh, and you get pizza. Yeah. And there's beer. I don't really drink the beer because I gotta, you know, you can't drink a bunch of beers and tell a story. You won't be very good at it. You'll, <laughs> you'll get a little sloppy, and so I don't do that. I just kind of wait for my turn. Okay. Guess what's the end then? No, I'm still asking you questions. How do you how do you like uh, podcasting? It's good. Do you want to um, do you want to have a real podcast as a on the on people's iPhones when you grow up? I just want to 
let this podcast go at least like at least like a ton of people listening uh, to it. We should find someone more interesting to interview than your dad. Well, who am I going to interview? It's Corona. It's Corona time. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. It's, yeah. it's my first time podcasting. You're doing a good job. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you for having me on your on your podcast, Henry. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Well, guess that's the end of our show. Hope you had a great day of listening. Bye.